0: Here, for this is the word of the Lord. And his mother and his brothers came. And standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around them. They said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Thanks be to God for his holy word. An important aspect of human life, which God had created, ordained, and brought together, is the family. The family plays an important role throughout the scriptures. Through the family is one way... That God fulfills his will in this world, one generation at a time. The first mention of the gospel was given to Eve and how her offspring would bruise the head of the serpent. Then there's the promise that was given to Abraham that his offspring would be more than the stars in the sky. Abraham's wife Sarah bore Isaac and Isaac's wife Rebekah bore Jacob who would later be renamed Israel. Israel would have 12 sons who would establish the nation of Israel. And it is through the lineage of one of these sons, Judah, that the Messiah would come. So you get the picture. Family was important for the old covenant people of God because God fulfilled his promises through them. And it is just as important for the New Covenant people of God. This does not change. So when family is concerned for your well-being and seek for you, their voices were expected to be heard. Especially when they thought that you were lost. Especially when they thought that you were out of your mind. After large crowds were following Jesus around by the Sea of Galilee, and as, after he appointed his 12 apostles, Jesus returned home. When word got back to his family regarding all that was going on, uh, they left Nazareth and traveled to Capernaum. If you remember, that's about 25 miles away. It was a full day's journey. They were seeking to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. When they arrived, his mother Mary and his four half brothers, possibly James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, were standing outside the house. They didn't enter because the house was filled with Jesus' followers. So they sent a message to him through the crowd until it reached him. And imagine the, the chitter chatter that was going on. As the people were sitting listening to him, then he is interrupted. As they say to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. I know that if this was to happen to me, I would be pretty embarrassed. They are calling him to go outside because they believe he has lost his mind. They may have been concerned about him and about his well-being, believing that all of this was just a waste of time. But Jesus responds as he is looking about at those who sat around him. These are those who followed him and responded to his call so that they may learn from him. He says, Here, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my mother, my brother and sister and mother. At first reading... This sounds like a direct insult to his family, which would have been completely inappropriate for a Jew to do at that time. But he wasn't saying that his family wasn't important. He wasn't purposely insulting his family. He's not trying to say that the biblical and traditional family structure no longer matters now that he is here. He is not saying that. Remember, God uses the human family to accomplish His will. What He is saying is that there is a family that far exceeds the human family. In importance, and that is the family of God. The family of God. God saves us. That we may be one in a family whose Father is God. That is why Jesus taught us to pray. He, He taught us to say, Our Father. When Jesus sought us and saved us, He made us children of God. And to a limited extent, we don't want to take this too far, but to a limited extent, we can call Jesus... Our elder brother. Now we don't want to take that too far and uh, apply it haphazardly. But the scripture says, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again... I will put my trust in Him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. And we are joined together in Christ, by Christ, as Paul says, that for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. If we are Christians, this is why we call one another brothers and sisters. It is through Christ. So it is of first importance to know whether or not you belong to this family. And there are three important aspects of the family of God that we need to grapple with today. That Jesus is communicating in this passage. He is communicating in what he has said to his own family. First, the family of God is not worldly or just physical only. It is not from a natural lineage. Jesus was beginning to make this clear to the scribes and the Pharisees. As he was teaching a people who, for the most part, thought that they were right in the eyes of God simply by being part of physical Israel. They believed that just being physically born or uh, naturally born to Israelite parents was the sole reason why God would favor them. Jesus once confronted uh, some who claimed that Abraham is our father. Uh, They prided themselves on such statements. They prided in being related to Abraham by blood lineage. And what's worse is that they thought they were doing God's will. But Jesus responded, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of God. Abraham did. What was that? He showed mercy, love. And all of this came from a true and lively faith in God. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. Later, he would call them children of the devil because they lie and murder just as their father did. In other words, they were not part of the family of God just because they were physically part of the lineage of Israel that is a warning that is a warning for anyone who thinks this way this family and whether or not we belong to this family is not based on just our physical and natural lineage it's not based on race or social status neither Paul says it is all-inclusive. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you all are one in Christ Jesus. Now, we don't get rid of these distinctions, obviously. But he wants to make clear that those worldly distinctions neither keep us from God, nor does it make us closer to God. Being male or female, does it make you closer to God? Being Jew nor Greek uh, culturally, does it make you closer to God? Neither does it keep you away from God. What matters is whether or not we are in Christ. Whether or not we have placed our faith in Him and are following Him. All these worldly distinctions that the world tends to make of us, That the world tries to divide us into categories does not matter when we gather as a family of God. So we ought to think through our identity in what we cherish the most. Is it our last name? Our family lineage? Our race or ethnicity? Is it our cultural heritage? our national origin, our gender? Or is it our relationship to Jesus Christ? What takes priority over all of these identities? Because this is the challenge that Jesus makes to His own family. This is the challenge for us. Especially for those who tend to To mix up the priorities, maybe putting one of these categories over the priority of the church. Because this is the family of God. Are we only thinking of our worldly relationships? But the question is what is your status with Jesus Christ? Are you on good terms with Him? Here, Jesus challenges even those who are related to him by blood. He is challenging them to think through their priorities. We know that his mother, Mary, knew who he was. As the angel Gabriel visited her before she conceived and told her who he will be. This Jesus will be great and we will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. She knew that she bore the Messiah. The one who has come to liberate Israel. Yet she and her sons were thinking very worldly at this point. So here he challenges her and his brothers and their worldly thinking. If they think that they will be safe from the wrath of God by blood relation to Him, because He is the Messiah, then they are wrong. They are wrong. It's not enough to be related to Jesus. But there must be a saving relationship with Jesus by placing faith in Him. It's just like it's not enough to know things about Jesus. But we must know Jesus. We must know Jesus. Personally, and believing Him as our Savior. He is not saying that our human relationships are not important. And we are allowed to dishonor our parents. He is not saying that. What He is saying is that our worldly families do not take priority over this family. So Jesus says... Worldly and family relationships are second place in comparison to our relationship to him. This is what he is saying. It seems harsh. But remember, they thought he was out of his mind. And they were concerned with the work that he came to do. They were concerned... That he would have been harmed by the religious leaders. They were concerned about the negative attention that his ministry might bring him. Or the negative attention that it might bring them. How would this reflect on his family? They were embarrassed to be associated with him. So they sought to silence him. His own disciples at various points try to silence him and stop his mission over concern of his well-being. Now think of today. Uh, Today it seems that the job of the media elites over the decades and even a century or so, whether you're talking about newspapers, Hollywood, TV sitcoms and the like, it, it seems like their job has been... To make Jesus' name so familiar, so familiar. You know, familiarity can often lead to embarrassment. His name has become so familiar in a negative light, comparable at times to Hitler, that his name has become taboo and embarrassing for some to mention. This would lead to Christians being embarrassed by the name of Jesus. Think of all the times that Jesus' name has come up in public negatively. And yet we remain silent. We've become embarrassed to share the gospel and proclaim Jesus. We have failed at many points to put His will and His kingdom first. The church has become worldly in many ways just like his family here. They were embarrassed. So they sought to silence him. But Jesus put his kingdom first. He has come to do his father's will. He told his parents this very thing when he was only 12 years old. Yet now they are trying to hold him back which would ultimately hold him back from what? The cross. The cross. They were missing the point. His kingdom is not of this world, and so to be part of his family, that is to be redeemed and saved, you must be born from above, and not just from below, not just from worldly parents. So this is important for us to think through. We are not Christians just because we are born to Christian parents. There are benefits to being born to Christian parents. In our tradition, we make distinctions between being part of the visible church, made up of all of those who were, who were saved and those who were born to Christian parents, And the invisible church, that is, the true church. And infants who are born in a Christian home, or as Paul says, born to one out of two parents who believes, then these infants are considered holy. And we benefit by becoming part of the visible church through baptism. We are given the sign and seal of the promise of the gospel and baptism. But that promise, that promise will not be realized until we make faith, that faith of our parents, our own faith. Here in the church we are enlightened, we taste the heavenly gift, we share in the Holy Spirit, and we taste the goodness of the Word of God each Lord's Day. And this is so that we may hold it by faith. By faith we may take hold of it on our own, by faith, as the Spirit works in us. But, but being part of the visible church does not necessarily make you part of the invisible church, the true church, until this happens. Why? Why? Because since it is not worldly, then secondly, the family of God is spiritual it is spiritual it cannot be seen by our naked eye you do not become part of this family until in an eternal and spiritual sense until you are spiritually united to Jesus Christ because what Jesus is trying to tell his family is that there is a dimension to man that is more important than that which is only worldly or physical. There are priorities and there is an order of importance to our relationships. Primarily, he is speaking of our relationship to God and whether or not we belong to him. He is concerned with our spiritual state. And He wants to challenge them and us to see whether or not we belong to Him. And if we are included in the family of God. Our worldly families will soon be separated by death. But we have an eternal home that we are heading to. Each one of us. And where we end up. And who we will be with for eternity is what Jesus Is speaking about, and this is of first importance. And our relation to Jesus Christ is spiritual, it is not of natural birth. This is how the blessing of Abraham came to the Gentiles, and now we might all receive, as Paul says, the promised Spirit through faith. So the question for us is are you united to Him? Are you bound to Him? Or are you bound only to this earth? He looks at those who were sitting around Him and He says, Here are my mother and my brothers. Why? Because He called them and He followed them. And He followed Him. This is how it is for us today. When Jesus effectually calls us, we follow Him and we are bound to Him. This situation is ultimately about being united to Jesus Christ. And what are one of the benefits of this calling when He calls us? It says, like in our confession, it says that we are adopted into the family of God. And we are received into the number. And now we have a right... To all the privileges of the sons of God. Like when Paul says. After the Holy Spirit joins us to Christ. And he bears witness with our spirit. That we are the children of God. And if children then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. But then he adds a stipulation. He adds a stipulation. He says provided. We suffer with him. In order that we may also be glorified. With him. That is where Jesus goes with this. That is where he goes. So, thirdly, this family has certain traits. They have physical traits. Though we're not worldly, though it is spiritual, there are physical traits, there are physical fruits. Of this family. Because with this family there is another challenge that is above all other challenges that Jesus makes here. This challenge is one of discipleship and the cost of discipleship. Because this family can be distinguished from the rest of the world. By what? By what they do. By what they do. He says... For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Notice, he doesn't say, uh, this is how you become part of the family of God. Doing the will of God is not how you get saved. Doing the will of God is not how you become a child of God. Because it is only through Jesus Christ, That we become part of the family of God. As it says. As John writes. To all who did receive him. That is Jesus. Believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. Who were born. Not of blood. Nor of the will of the flesh. Nor of the will of man. But of God. But if we say. If we say we follow him then His will will take priority over everything else, including our families. Including our families. If our family wants to reject Jesus Christ, we are not to follow. If our family wants to live in disobedience, we are not to follow. But there is an important question that you're probably asking yourself. What is the will of God? What is this will? First, it would be good to know what it is not. It is not what we've been hearing coming from many pulpits today. People tend to ask, what is the will of God for my life? If you are talking about uh, what career you should have. What person you should marry, what car you should drive, as a pastor, I have a simple answer. I have no idea. The specifics, I don't know, and I can't tell you. If it doesn't involve sin, the simple response would be make a decision. Make a decision. That's not the will of God that Jesus is speaking of here. It is not sitting around and waiting for signs to appear to guide you to make a decision about something in your life or in the church. That's not Christianity. That is mysticism. That's pagan. It's not Christian. I know it sounds more spiritual, but it is of a different spirit. I believe in God's sovereignty and I I believe in His providence as He guides us in all things. But usually we don't see His guiding hand until after it happens. We can do all we want to control the situation and to try to figure out what we should do next. But we won't know what God's will until something happens. We don't sit around and wait for it to happen. We're called to do it. Make a decision. So the will of God is not up to our own imagination. Figuring things out. Oh, is this what God wants me to do? If it doesn't involve sin, do it. I have no idea. I can't guide you in that. So what does it mean to do the will of God according to Jesus? Now a simple way to answer that question is also to ask, well, what were the crowds doing? Because that's who he said his family were. Well, what were the crowds doing? Well, they were following Jesus. They were following him to learn from him and what they saw and from what they heard him say. Well, what did they see Him do? Well, what did they hear Him say? Well, Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount that He came to fulfill the law. And He revealed to us what that truly means. What does it mean to fulfill the law? Well, what was it that Jesus meant that He came to fulfill the law? Well, Paul says that love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, Love is fulfilling of the law. Jesus came to love his people and to fulfill the law as he revealed what that truly means. So, for the Christian, the will of God is first found in the scriptures. Jesus fulfilled His Father's will in the Scriptures by dying on the cross for the sins of many out of love for His Father and for His people. And then we are called by Jesus to pick up our cross and follow Him. As the letter of Hebrews speaks of the way that Jesus entered into the holy places by His blood and made a way for us to enter into the holy places as well, meaning we now have access to heaven through His sacrifice. The author of Hebrews says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. But He doesn't just stop there. It's not just the uh, uh, me, and my, uh, me and Jesus' relationship. Right? He doesn't stop, stop there. He gives us the will of God in His church when He says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So here, the author of Hebrews is giving us a picture of the love of God and the love of one another that we share as a family of God. This is why, as we're, we're going to see in a few weeks, this is why membership is important. This is why membership is important. There's nowhere in Scripture, nowhere in the New Testament, where Christians were not counted among the number. The number of who? The number of those who have been adopted into the family of God. And the number that is counted among the gathering of the saints. There are no Christians in the New Testament that weren't counted. We see this in Acts chapter 4 and 5. It is just like uh, the natural family. It's just like our families, how we count and keep track of all of our family members. We know their uh, birthdays and so on and so forth and their names. That is the same for us. And this is the will of God that we are to be counted among the number. Because we have a duty to one another in this spiritual family. It is a spiritual family and we are held accountable to one another in this body. Because the church is the family of God. The church. This is who he is calling. His brother and sister and mothers. He is setting apart the church. The church is is the family of God and I you know one of the I probably said this before I'm being repetitive I'm, I apologize I think that's part of my role is to repeat myself but I've heard this many times and, and out there in the world and uh, people who are against membership they say you know what's wrong with the church it's been institutionalized and I say you're right it has, it has been institutionalized. But who institutionalized it? Jesus. Jesus institutionalized the church. This is why he set up apostles. And this is why the uh, the apostles set up elders and deacons to have a structure and order to the church because that's all an institution is. It's It's a place made up of people with leaders and organization and order. Of course it has been institutionalized. If you were born in a family, you have been part of an institution. If you were born... In these United States of America. You are part of an institution. You can't get away from it. We're all part of an institution. Whether we like it or not. So. There's not enough of an excuse. To not become part of the family of God. Because it's an institution. It's not enough to say that. Many people say they love Jesus. But they don't love the church. That is impossible. That is impossible. If you don't love the church. You don't love Jesus. You don't love Jesus. And one of the expressions. To show The church leaders and the elders and the deacons, which gives them great encouragement. One of the expressions of being part of the family of God, to show that you love the family of God, is to become a member of the church. Because you are publicly confessing Jesus Christ and saying, I am now committed to his will in the church. This is why we have a gathering, this is why we have a building. To allow you to fulfill God's will right here. You don't need to go anywhere else. The church is the family of God. This is the gathering that God was speaking about. That Jesus was speaking about. That, if you have that question lingering in your mind, that is the will of God for us. To participate fully in the family of God, right here, if that is your desire. And Christians are called to do so. We are called to fulfill the will of God, even if it's imperfect in this life. So how can we apply this passage to ourselves today? There are a few points of application that we ought to consider. The first thing we need to remember is that believers and their children make up the visible church, but there is an unseen reality that we must individually deal with. And that is whether or not we belong to Jesus Christ spiritually. Are we truly part of His family to be called His brother or sister? So first we are to consider our relation to Him. Do you belong to Him? Or are you, as many today, are embarrassed of Him? Do you seek to silence what He has said and done? It seems today that there are many in churches who do not want to repeat some of the things that Jesus has taught us out of fear that it will offend somebody. So we are to ask ourselves in light of that, what are our priorities? Do we have them backwards or upside down? Secondly, we are to consider his call of discipleship. He says it is those who do the will of God that are his family. Those who do the will of God that are his family. There are many who call themselves Christians and do not seek to do God's will. Then, based on what Jesus is saying, they are not Christians. Then they are not Christians. Doing the will of God doesn't make you a Christian, but it is evidence that you are a Christian. And we are to count the cost. It may cost us our relationships that we hold dear. We may have to abandon our family to be included into the family of God. It is a sacrifice. It is a sacrifice. Just as Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, as I'm repeating myself, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then he says, and this is the will of God, do not be conformed to this world, But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We are called to do the will of God. And every day our flesh is there fighting against it. Every day we wake up in the morning, we sense it in our bodies. That we do not want to do it. That is our nature. We do not want to do the will of God that is laid before us. But as an encouragement, remember this when Jesus calls you to follow Him, He is calling calling you to a life that He already walked. So that He can sympathize with our weaknesses. Yet he is without sin. And he equips us to follow him. So without Jesus Christ, you will not be able to do the will of God. Because it is against every part of us to do it, it is against the fiber of our being to do the will of God. So we must. We evaluate first whether or not we belong to Him before we ask ourselves, are we doing the will of God? Thirdly and finally, we are to consider this as an encouragement for those who call themselves Christians. This is also an encouragement that Jesus calls us His family. That Jesus called these wretches his brothers and sisters. His father becomes our father. He has redeemed us so that we can be included into the number of God's children. There is no better status on the planet than to be called a child of God, part of the family of God. I don't care if you're the president of the United States. There's no better status to have than to be called a child of God. And there is no better place to be than to be in God's family. So I'll close with scripture. This is by Paul in his letter to the Ephesians when he said. In the Beloved. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. That He would call us His own. Before the foundation of the world. And He created us. In Christ Jesus for what? Well He follows up with that in the next chapter. For good works. For good works. Prepared beforehand. That we should walk in them. And do the will of God. That's even more of an encouragement. Because He doesn't leave us to our own devices. He puts the will of God right here in front of us. He puts a good work in front of us and says, do this. He puts the church here. Right here in Lisbon. And says, do this. we should be encouraged that this church is here by God's sovereignty and by God's providence. Let us pray that we do His will. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your glorious grace, how you have set us apart, just as Jesus set these people apart in this crowd to do His will as they were doing His will, following Him, Lord. We pray that You would continue to build us up in the faith, that we would follow You more faithfully as each day goes by and as that day of Your return grows near to us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.